0: Hi there, welcome to the last episode of this podcast season. Today, we'll delve into the topic of climate justice and explore the role of intergenerational solidarity in addressing the urgent environment challenges we face today. To guide us through this conversation, we have two special guests joining us. What a pleasure to have you both here. Would you like to introduce yourselves?
1: My name is Sophia Wiegand. Uh, I'm currently 27 years old and I'm the vice president of Generation Climate Europe. And today I'm joining from London where it's very sunny and beautiful and where I'm studying. Hi everyone, I'm Agatha Meisner. I'm um,
2: the president of Generation Climate Europe and I'm joining today from Brussels, which is not so sunny, unfortunately.
0: For those who have never heard of it, Can you tell us what Generation Climate Europe is, Agata?
2: Generation Climate Europe is a youth coalition uh, that brings together uh, different youth-led networks and we focus on climate and environmental issues. It's basically a platform that allows young people and youth organizations and various youth actors to get more involved um, and to get empowered to get involved in decision-making processes at the EU level.
0: Generation Climate Europe is an impressive network of 381 national organizations across 46 countries in Europe. How did you join GC, Sofia?
1: I started my climate activism journey in GCE, but in IJ, the European Students Forum, which happens to be a member organization of Generation Climate Europe. And I was part of the climate emergency working group in that organization. And when it came the time that IJ had to nominate a new board member towards GCE, I was asked if I wanted to do that. And uh, luckily I did. And it's been a really nice experience so far. I did uh, become board member in January of the last year. And then when we got the new board in the summer, I was asked if I want to be the vice president. Uh, I've always wanted to work closer with the thematic projects of GCE. And the vice president really gets to do that. We get to provide a lot of strategic advice with the board to those working groups and help them implement their goals. And this is basically how I ended up where I am now.
0: What about you, Agata?
1: I've been involved with
2: different youth organizations oriented on environment, climate, and kind of very sustainability issues for, yeah, the past 10 years or so. And then I joined GC back in 2019, which is when it was founded. So it's been a really exciting journey to be on to start where you've just, uh, you know, uh, a couple of us at the beginning, an informal um, structure as well to an actual you know, full-on work functioning with several different projects, with various member organizations, and with even more exciting things ahead.
0: GCE has different working groups, such as one on circular economy, one on clean mobility, for example, but it also has horizontal programs that infuse all working groups and all specific projects implemented. Besides being president and vice president of GCE, Sofia and Agata, you are both active in the intergenerational justice program. What does that program focus on and how does it work?
2: So the horizontal program on intergenerational justice is one of our horizontal programs, and it focuses on this dual objective, one about raising awareness and the other one about advocacy. Uh, And on one hand, it's really about raising awareness and knowledge regarding what is intergenerational justice and how should it work in the context of the decision-making processes, particularly in our case on climate and environment, uh, which are crucial issues and also uh, consistently a priority for young people in several different studies. On the other hand, it's also really about integration of intergenerational justice in in those EU decision-making processes. In looking into how this applies not only to engaging youth actors uh, but also translating that into the policies at hand making sure that we have that long-term perspective um, future-proofing perspective we call it so that it has a positive impact not only now but also for the future generations
0: since this is a transversal program can you give examples of ways of action and tools
2: So we have several different tools that we use at GCE that apply to this program, but also to other areas of our work. Um, We meet with decision makers, we produce various publications, policy papers, reports and briefs. Uh, We also organize social media campaigns. We run trainings and workshops for young people. We do quite a lot of convening of different networks and organizations so we can create that platform and that space for youth actors to to advocate for that green just transition at the EU level and several different other tools that are very specific often to the you know political context at hand, to the topic that we're targeting, to the number of different actors that are involved. I think part of the challenge that is at hand is that There's not a lot of awareness yet of what it is and what it means and even more so how it applies in practice. So there are a number of different um, resources that are being used. There are studies here and there that are popping up. Um, There are a lot of related uh, terms and topics that feed into uh, that discussion like intergenerational equity, for example, and intergenerational solidarity. Um, like, for example, Foresight, which is one of the tools that is being used also at the EU level. And there's a lot of overlap with with these discussions that are happening. Uh, but this is also part of the process. We've noticed that there are a lot of youth organizations that are either not yet aware or haven't had access to, um, to these kind of tools. And our journey of learning and our journey of putting forward different proposals is also a journey that we want to take other organizations on.
0: Sophia, you went to COP27 last year. Can you tell us a bit about this experience?
1: So I attended the last COP as the Youth Delegate of the European Economic and Social Committee. So in a way, that was quite a privileged position because I was allowed to be part of the official EU delegation. But even before we went to that COP, we felt a lot of pressure addressing the situation in Egypt. And we were very wary about how we would behave on the ground. And on the one hand, we wanted to elevate the voices of those that we knew couldn't be there, and at the same time, not jeopardize the situation of those people and our own. So it was a very tricky situation. And upon arriving, you could immediately feel that there was a very tense atmosphere going to the conference rooms with security everywhere. The technical personnel was employed by the Egyptian um government uh, and had very strict requirements regarding which technology could be used to include people that were tuning into COP from abroad, which is very standard for a COP to have people join remotely because not everyone can always attend in person. And there were people in suits filming and photographing everywhere. Um, We felt very observed all the time. And still, I felt very safe because I had the uh, solidarity and the, the group around me f- of my delegation. But I heard from a lot of other young people that I connected with that they experienced some very bad treatment. And at the same time, this prompted a lot of solidarity amongst activists. There was a lot of outspokenness about these incidents. People, wherever they could talk to some policymaker or stakeholders to the Egyptian presidency, tried to bring up these incidents and demanded that this situation was improved. And at the same time, there were also attempts throughout the COP, wherever that was possible, to raise the human rights issues of the country in general. This activist that really became the um, the main figurehead of the movement around the COP, Allah Abdel Fattah, who is a democracy activist in Egypt and who has been jailed and went on a hunger strike during the COP, he really became the face of this movement, and he probably wouldn't have gotten as much attention if the COP hadn't happened in Egypt and if civil society from all around the world wouldn't have spoken up. But this really shone a light, I think, on the situation of about 60,000 people that are imprisoned in Egypt.
0: I say climate, you're-
1: question is just how much did that actually change because we saw the solidarity happening in the build up to COP and during but afterwards this attention also went away so in a way it, it raised awareness but maybe not enough but overall it still was quite motivating to see how people came together not just around this issue but also around the climate issues in general there were a lot of activists that were attending each other's protests there was a plenary on the second to last day of COP, the People's Plenary, where the different civil society constituencies, the, the environmental NGOs, women's constituency, indigenous constituency, youth constituency, held a plenary together to speak up jointly and advocate for more climate action and actually marched around the venue and enchanted. And, and that's something that wasn't really possible most of the other days. If you look at COP26 in Glasgow, you had thousands and thousands of people marching in the streets. You never saw this in Sharm el-Sheikh, but you saw these smaller protests and these smaller incidents of solidarity, which, given the context, felt both really powerless and powerful at the same time. So it it was a very uh, unique and bizarre experience. I hope we managed to change something Um, But, of course, coming back from that and seeing how little, in the end, we achieved, it leaves you with a bit of a torn heart.
0: COP stands for Conference of the Parties, which refers to the annual meetings held by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. The UNFCCC is an international treaty aimed at addressing global climate change. The COP meetings bring together representatives from nearly every country to assess progress in dealing with climate change and to negotiate and implement measures to tackle the issue.
1: The only reason that I was able to attend COP26 and COP27 was because I was the youth delegate of the European Economic and Social Committee. And the EESC only has this youth delegate program for the past two years. Um, This is a project that was established in collaboration with us, with GCE, and with the European Youth Forum uh, to really allow young people to have a more meaningful role at COP and at the European Union's delegation to COP. And without the cooperation of the ESC, we couldn't have made this happen. So we we had to um, lobby for and find people that were open to trying this. Um, we were able to co-create this program and they really gave us the space to not only choose the delegate uh, by young people, but also co-create the entire program. And uh, it's not to be taken for granted. I mean, it a lot of times, that institutions at EU level, organizations are organizing events where they want to connect with youth or speak about the role of youth. Um, But it's not always the case that youth is actually then involved in the planning of these events or even on the panels that happen at these events. And we sometimes uh, then see people that are a bit more aware of these issues speak up and say, hey, you need to invite a young person. Otherwise, this event is not going to be useful. Uh, So when this happens, this is also a very great example of intergenerational solidarity and also the recognition of the fact you should never speak about someone when that person isn't in the room. Like If you discuss something pertaining to a specific group of people, to a generation, you need to include these people. Otherwise, whatever you discuss, whatever you decide is not going to be effective.
0: That's a great call for inclusion in decision-making institutions. And I'm happy to hear that you do observe changes and intergenerational solidarity in that sense. For episode 14 of this podcast, we hosted a roundtable with three young people to discuss solidarity as perceived and put in action by Gen Z. And during this conversation, we tended to compare generations. Looking at climate justice from an intergenerational perspective, How do you perceive the interactions between different generations?
2: I'm wondering if it's necessarily helpful to think about solidarity in terms of the difference and the different approaches between generations. Because I think something that should be at the core of it all is that intergenerational solidarity. And it is not so much about the different approaches or the different tools that different generations have in a sense of comparing them or trying to figure out which ones are better and which ones are worse or which ones are more or less effective. But it's much more about recognizing both our weaknesses and our strengths and finding ways to work together. And I think that's really at the core of the conversation around the climate crisis, but also many other crises that we're experiencing at the moment. And this is really what I think would make a really big difference, um, not only in terms of in terms of the solidarity actions, but also just in general, to be able to say, listen, this I'm not so good at, but I'm very good at something else. And I think if we're all very, very honest about this, um, and that will depend on a number of different factors, then we can really create a movement and a change that's more sustainable, that's more long-term, and that lasts in a way in a more stable manner. Um, one of the things we did was we realized that there are very often conversations that are happening between specific generations about how to tackle the climate crisis and how, how do we feel about this, and what is our approach to you know changes happening at a slower pace that we might... Uh, want them to, to happen at. But there are not a lot of intergenerational spaces for these kind of conversations to happen. Um, so we partner up with another organization uh, called Climate Action Network Europe, and we organize an event that brought together representatives of different generations to basically provide that safe space to exchange and to learn from each other Uh, On one hand, from, you know, people have been around for quite a long time, have also been involved in various climate topics for a very long time, have seen certain changes happening and certain things also not happening. And on the other hand, also people who are quite new to this, who still have a lot of energy and a lot of passion for it, but might feel quite overwhelmed with the scale of the crisis or perhaps with the tools that are available. Yeah, this was a conversation that was happening informally, so it wasn't public, which meant that... We created that safe space for people to share how they feel, um, to really connect with that internal side of, of not only thinking about the topic, but also feeling um, about the topic.
0: What are the biggest challenges for solidarity in Europe today for you?
1: To me, one of the biggest challenges is how to keep social cohesion and the way we are having debates around different issues, not just climate uh, at the moment in our societies. Because wh- whether it's climate policies, whether it's the um, way to approach refugee crises, um, the way debates are framed is usually if something is given to one group or if some group is getting, getting their way, somebody else tends to lose something. And that is not always the case. I think we should ask more, what do we stand to gain collectively if we address this together? There's a lot of discussion of who gets financial support uh, to be able to still afford their energy. But looking at this, young people and elderly people are the ones that are most affected by this. And still, we are often pitted against each other looking at climate policies, that young people are the ones that want to change how our homes are heated and young people want to change um, to more renewable energies. But we are similarly affected by this crisis. And uh, we could have a dialogue about how we can manage this transition together so that everyone benefits. So I think we need to really start emphasizing more what there is to gain.
2: I think there's several several challenges for solidarity in Europe today. Um, I think one that we've been observing is um, a stronger and stronger polarization uh, between countries within countries, between communities within communities, uh, not only on on climate, but also, I mean, several other issues, um, gender equality, um, migration, trade, I mean, all, all kinds of topics that are extremely important at the moment. And this polarization I think occurs not only between the current generations but also between the generations that are present now and the future generations and the and the and the tricky part about the interests of future generations and also something that we we talk about when we talk about intergenerational justice is the fact that they're not just another stakeholders that you can invite to the room. I mean, they're in a way invisible stakeholders, right? You can't just say, well, you know, we have this person and this person and this person and also the representative of future generations. I mean, sometimes I hear young people being coined as the representatives of future generations. And I I think that's a, a very... You know, incorrect way to think about this, he's saying, you know, the concerns of young people at the moment are the same as the concerns of future generations in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years. I mean, it's it's a very complex situation, particularly when it comes to the pace of the climate crisis. I mean, we're not talking about decades anymore. So this is definitely something that is is a really big challenge to find a way to tackle polarization on these different levels. And, and find a way and a space for us to be able to disagree with each other. Uh, and that's, I think, oh, very often the case. I mean, I <laughs> when I go to conferences or events or panels, I, I very often hear a lot of, oh, yes, I agree, and oh, yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and this is all nice and good, and it's great for us to agree, but at the end of the day, if we're all just there to agree with each other, what are we getting out of it, right? So, you know, we need to be more comfortable with disagreeing. We need to be more comfortable with finding ways to be open also about the fact that there might be something that um, we just have a different position on. And it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, if we can be open and, and, and respectful about this, it's it's even more important uh, to find those ways to connect these different bubbles, I think we're all in our, you know, informational bubbles and, and uh, societal bubbles. So it's it's a challenge of um, of the climate crisis, but also other crises, to to find and build those bridges that are more stable than just you know a one-time run through them, but really become those spaces for for exchanges and for conversations that bring different generations, that bring different groups, and that bring different countries together.
0: And maybe this will be my last question. What gives you hope?
1: In the work with GCE, we've emphasized a lot how difficult it is for young people sometimes to get the recognition and the level of engagement that would be really useful and that we actually deserve. But it is always very rewarding to see projects flourish and to see things develop. And once things are actually implemented and working, they sometimes start spiraling and that's just wonderful to see. The youth delegate program that I've been speaking about earlier, it started as this very small program between three organizations. We were just working out how to do it. And this year, with someone applying to be the next youth delegate, we had so many people interested. It got a lot of recognition, not just amongst young people, but really internationally, internationally. And uh, within the EESC, there was a small group of people that supported us. And now what we're seeing is um, there are sections across the entire institution that is reaching out to youth organizations and young people asking for their input on various issues, not just on issues that directly pertain to youth or that have youth in the title, but really more general issues. And they're asking, hey, does this have some impact on your generation specifically? What are your views on this? Can you contribute and and it's just great to see that more and more people are becoming aware that this is an important issue and that young people need to be included?
2: I have a one word answer to this question, and that's people people that we have at g c and let's just say i mean I'm definitely biased there, but I really think are amazing and are are real change makers, uh, not only within the context of the work that we do but also within their own communities. Um, there have been some incredible people that have been part of the organization that made a huge difference, not only for our own mission and vision and realizing your object- objectives, but also for the wider uh, advancement of, of tackling the climate crisis. And And I just feel incredibly hopeful because we have so many alumni who are now, you know, running their own startups, um, starting their own initiatives, uh, connecting with their local governments, um, even running for office themselves and just continuing to, you know, to make that impact. We're, in a way, creating these catalysts of impact. And I I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's really all that this is about, that, you know, we spread that message, we spread that ability to impact the planet and the society in a positive way. And that gives me a lot of hope. Uh, This is not a temporary, short-term engagement. This is a life mission and a life journey that a lot of these people are on.
0: Thank you, Agatha and Sophia, for your great input. And this was our last episode of the season. I hope this season got you talking about solidarity with your friends, family, colleagues and neighbors and that together you forged your own definitions of solidarity and invented your own ways of putting solidarity in action. This is a podcast of Salto European Solidarity Chorus Research Center, produced by Instituto Now. For more information and resources on Solidarity and the Chorus, go to talkingsolidarity.eu. The theme song Solidarity Unifies Us is composed and sung by Paula Gers. The episode was mixed by Simon Aftalion and hosted by Djoke Pirsch. The artwork was created by How Our love to
1: share! Our love.